Hi, I'm James Rodier, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, a forum for integrating life sciences, where, on the second Wednesday of each month, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. As a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to bioscience.oxfordjournals.org. And if you have a chance, please rate us on iTunes, and always feel free to leave us a comment or drop us a line on Twitter. And for our fifth episode, I'm joined by Al Zale, who's with the USGS Montana Cooperative Fishery Research Unit and is currently stationed at Montana State University. But the topic of the day isn't fisheries. Instead, we're going to be talking about a way to improve gender diversity among STEM faculty. Now, that's probably a familiar-sounding topic, and there have been a lot of hiring process initiatives over the years aimed at addressing the lack of women in STEM university jobs. But there's something about the article that we're discussing today that's particularly interesting, and it's that Dr. Zale and his colleagues were able to test their results to measure the effects of the intervention on the number of women that were actually hired. And perhaps the most interesting thing of all is that the intervention worked. So let's go straight to the interview and hear how they did it. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Zale. Hi, James. It's great to be here talking to you. And just to get us started, you know, I hope we could do a little bit of framing. So before we get into the intervention itself, can you tell us a little bit about the problem that it sought to address? Well, uh, historically, uh, uh, the problem in STEM all along has been uh, that that we're uh, primarily a bunch of white guys, and we don't have much uh, racial diversity. We don't necessarily have much LGBT diversity, and and we don't have uh, much uh, gender diversity either. 80% 80% or so of uh, the um, scientists at, at university faculty uh, are males, and that's what we've been uh, trying to, to get at. We, we graduate a lot more women with PhDs, but we don't get them into the faculty ranks, and we're uh, trying to, to get them in here. You know, and I, and I know there have been a lot of similar efforts to that in the past. And, you know, one thing I'm kind of wondering is, where does your intervention sit in comparison to those other ones? You know, what sets it apart? What made it different? Right, and, and mostly I'm speaking about our experience here at Montana State University. There have been a number of other institutions that have uh, addressed this earlier on, and we took a lot of their experiences and uh, worked with some of the things that, that they had found that worked well. I think the only difference here, really, and why we've been able to, to kind of make a, a bit of a splash with this is that we actually did a study to evaluate what happens when we try to do that versus if we don't. So we were trying to do something with our faculty, something that other universities have done, but we actually made a research study of it, and that's the, the beauty of, of our uh, advanced project. And, and, and speaking of that study, what, you know, what, was the, what was the basic study design? You, know, you describe in the article a three-step process. Right. It's a three-step process, but the study design itself really is uh, a randomized controlled trial in which we... Uh, took uh, all of our faculty searches in one year and pretty much tried to get half of them to be intervened with through this process, this three-step process, and the other half we, we left alone. The numbers actually got a little bit uh, mixed up from that because we had a few of these searches that were combined, and that's how we ended up with 14 intervened and nine uh, controls. And, and so then uh, the idea was uh, that we had this three-step process. We, we recognized based on sociological theory, uh, psychological theory, actually, that um, there were kind of three things that we could, could go after. And we realized that uh, doing a better job of recruiting people and then doing a better job of evaluating people and then making people want to come to be here uh, were, were kind of the, the three major steps. So uh, better recruitment, uh, 
better evaluation of the people once we were interviewing them uh, or in various stages of the process. And then uh, once we were talking to them, we also made them realize that this was going to be a great place for, for them to work because we value family, we value diversity, and we made it clear to them by, by having them work with our family advocates. You know, maybe you could just walk us through the experiment um, in each of the steps, just so we have an idea of what's going on at every stage. Sure. Well, uh, re recruitment is, is the first thing. And, and the way that we've historically done things uh, in academia is we uh, put together a job announcement and we put it in the Chronicle of Higher Education or the back of Science magazine. And then the people who are out there who are looking for a job apply for it. And it, it's kind of like if, if we make a football analogy, uh, it's uh, just taking the walk-ons. It's not going out and, and recruiting the, the best players from throughout the country. Uh, you know, if, if you look at um, this is football season and, uh, you know, we, we think about some of the powerhouse college football teams. I mean, those coaches during the offseason, they're out there recruiting people. They're going and finding the, the best uh, high school players and then they're trying to find them, uh, trying to convince them to, to, to come to their university. And we have never really done that in academia. And we've just kind of waited to see who would come to us. And historically, maybe that was fine because there weren't that many people out there and they weren't that diverse and they were all looking in the back of Science Magazine. Uh, certainly when I was coming up through the ranks, that was how, how things uh, worked. Uh, we got every the, the issue every week and we looked, looked to see where, where the uh, positions were. But uh, we, we now know that that's not going to be the way that we'll, we'll find uh, a lot of people, and especially the kind of people who don't necessarily or normally apply uh, to a place like Montana State University. Instead, we have to find those people, uh, connect with them somehow, and, and, get, and, and ask them um, uh, to, to apply. So in the intervention group, what you're doing is you're essentially just going to the search committee and you're telling them, go out and look. Yeah, and, and the way that uh, we, one of the ways that we found that was really effective, and I found this on the internet, I think it was um, a, a publication uh, that came out of MIT that, that described some of their uh, engineering school searches maybe about 10, 10 or so years ago. Uh, what they did was they, they called uh, friends and uh, people at other universities that they knew, uh, called them and asked them, uh, hey, you know, we're trying to recruit for such and such a position. Uh, do you have any, you know, bright young stars that, that would be good for that sort of thing? And they got a number of names that way. What was curious was that they then asked them, and are any of those people women or minorities? And, and people often came up with a whole other list because, again, because of implicit bias, they didn't necessarily think of those people as their rising, young, shining stars. And, and when they then, they then um, the recruiters had a list of people, names, phone numbers, and they were able to call those people and urge them to apply. And they found that that was a very effective way of doing it. And here in the Department of Ecology, we did that same sort of thing a number of years ago. And that was a reason for our success. We, we went from searches where we got 20 or 30 applicants to over 100 applicants. And once you start increasing that pool, you're going to have a, a larger number of more diverse people. Okay, so you've, you've gone through the recruitment, you've talked to the search committee, you've impressed upon them the importance of you know, casting a wider net and, and uh, you know, doing a better job in actively seeking out um, gender diversity among their recruits. Mm -hmm. uh, what's next? Seeking them out. Well, seeking them out and then evaluating them fairly, not allowing the implicit bias issue to come into play. 
or at least trying to minimize it. So those are really two of the, the, the biggest hurdles. Then you, 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 you'll have a short list of people, uh, you interview them by phone, you bring in three or four of them to, uh, to, to come in and, and interview in person, they give seminars, they talk to all the usual people, and then you have them talk to that family advocate. And, and that could oftentimes is just a 15 or a 20 minute conversation. But the family advocate here at MSU, we have two of them now, uh, they are people that uh, can talk to the candidates about things that the candidates would not want to talk to the search committee or the department about. Things like their spouse and the need for a dual career hire, uh, things about their kids, um, you know, talk about schools, about daycare, things like that. Because oftentimes people will think that, well, if they know that I've got a husband or a wife who's also a scientist, they're gonna, we're going to have to talk about hiring them. If they find out that I've got kids, they're going to think that I can't teach uh, early in the morning because I have to get them off to school. It, people worry about those kinds of things, and uh, they don't want to talk to the search committee or the department head about that. But they can go and talk to the family advocate, and the family advocate here can reassure them uh, that, no, those aren't going to be problems here, that we can deal with that sort of thing. Or they might actually, depending on the situation, there might be some things that, yeah, would be a problem, and you need to know about that now. And uh, we maybe can't, can't deal with that. But um, at least that way, the, the candidate has a, a better understanding of what Montana State University uh, can and can't do uh, to accommodate them. And, and that's, that's huge. Okay, that speaks to the value for, you know, the potential candidates, but um, how did the search committees respond to the intervention? Well, by and large, uh, people were uh, willing to, to listen to what we had to say. I think that historically people understood that we have an issue here, and uh, people in, in various departments did want to get diversity, and I think they were mystified by the fact that we were not getting it. So if there was any initial skepticism, this sounds like a group that was able to overcome it pretty easily. Yes. Uh, although, you know, it, it takes a few iterations sometimes. And uh, you know, some of the information that we provided about implicit bias, uh, people, um, depending on who they are, are, may or may not be more willing to accept that sort of thing. And um, I, I often start this part of the training uh, with a riddle. It goes something on the order of uh, a man and his son are on their way to a ball game. They're involved in a horrible car crash. The man is killed instantly. The son is rushed to the hospital. He's wheeled into the emergency room uh, and brought to surgery. The surgeon comes in, looks down at the boy and says, I can't operate on him. This is my son. And, and for a lot of us, people like me, you know, it is kind of mystifying. That doesn't quite make sense because the father was just killed. And, and it you know, about a third of surgeons in the United States are women, but we don't automatically think of them as women. So we have this kind of like generalization that, that uh, a surgeon is going to be a male. In much the same way, scientists, we think of them as being males with glasses and bad hair in some kind of a, um, a lab coat. And um, trying to explain that to people who are scientists who consider themselves very objective and, and they... Um, overtly do, are not biased against women, uh, for example, uh, you know, the, it's very hard to get them to realize that that sort of thing might be operating. So a lot of the training has to do with um, getting that kind of point across and, and showing them the, the, the studies 
uh, the hard data that shows that, unfortunately, we, we do this, even uh, you know, those of us with, with the best intentions, we, we still manage to, to, to make that sort of thing happen. You know, and I think that makes the results of your study even more impressive in a way. You're talking about these sort of deeply held biases, and then you have a 45-minute conversation with the search committee, and all of a sudden they're able to overcome them. Yep. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that is that is. That is <laughs> Well, it, it, but it's, uh, you know, it's things that make sense. And, and um, I, you know, the, the recruitment thing, people are like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of work. Uh, and we're all overworked. And now we're on a search committee and you're asking us to, to call 10 places around the country and talk to people. But it's, it's also like, hey, you're going to call them anyway. You know, catch up with your old friends and find out if they have any uh, 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 young hotshots that, that we want to bring in. Right. Um, okay, tying it all together, uh, so as you go through the intervention, the search committee learns how to reach out to a wider pool of candidates. They learn about implicit bias, and then the family advocate comes in. Um, I definitely don't want to get into a number dump here, but I do think it's worth mentioning just a couple of things to highlight how successful the intervention was. Um, searches in the intervention group were 6.3 times more likely to make an offer to a woman candidate, and women who were made an offer by a search intervention group were 5.8 times more likely to accept an offer. Uh, that is an amazing result. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more, more women were shortlisted and were phone interviewed in, in the intervention. Um, there were more women who came and, and interviewed on campus in those searches that, that went through the intervention. More offers were made to women candidates in, in our intervened searches. And then the acceptance rate was higher. Okay, so you've definitely found success with the intervention, and it's been demonstrated in the study. Um, has has the intervention been continued um, after the? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And 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 after that first year where we did half and half essentially, um, uh, we realized that hey, we were onto something here, and we could not afford to not do it in all our searches, and so we started doing it in all our searches. And we've uh, continued to, to be able to hire at about 50-50 rate. Yeah, so kind of like, you know, one of those FDA studies where they abolish the control because the drug works so well. Um, you know, one thing that was mentioned toward the end in the conclusions of the article was the, the potential for this to be a more broadly applicable solution. Um, you know, do you see something like this working in, in other areas? Sure. And, and I think that, um, you know, in, in industry, uh, the, the same sort of thing could be done and, and probably is already being done uh, at, at forward-thinking companies. And also, I think uh, we, we need to, we, we've been talking about gender, uh, but I think the same sort of thing applies also to other kinds of um, diversity as well. There's, there's really no reason that it should only work uh, for, for gender. It should also work for other kinds of minorities as well. And one last subject that we'd mentioned discussing today um, was the diversity of your own team and, and how that had an influence on, you know, the outcome and performance of your study. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, well, uh, I think uh, we had an email exchange uh, and we talked about the fact that we have a diverse team um, of uh, people from, from um, different parts uh, of the university, from human resources, from various uh, departments. Uh, we have men, we have women. And, and I think the fact uh, of the matter is that we have people like me working on this. And I'm a 59-year-old white guy uh, from back east. And um, 
the fact, and, uh, and I'm a scientist, a fishery scientist of all things, uh, I normally work with fish, not people. And, um, and the, the fact that I can go into one of these search committee trainings and talk about it uh, from the same kind of perspective as the, the engineers and the mathematicians and the biologists, and uh, I'm, I'm one of them. And when they hear it from me, I think sometimes that, that can make a difference. So having a diverse uh, committee, having a diverse group uh, spearheading this sort of thing, I think is, is a, a large part of it. I think uh, at a lot of universities, there's um, uh, a number of people who probably uh, work on this sort of thing, are interested in it, and they're already kind of well known, and uh, people may uh, view what they have to say uh, as more of the same, whereas if you get a committee of people uh, that are working on the sort of thing that, that uh, have come from a, a more diverse set of backgrounds, I think that might um, make the committee more effective. Great. And so, you know, looking for one possible takeaway message, would it be, you know, if you're at a university, if you're involved in hiring and you're thinking of doing this kind of thing, you should go ahead and do it um, because there's a great opportunity for success. Absolutely. I've been so very pleasantly surprised how well this has all worked. And that seems like a great place to leave it. So, Dr. Zale, thank you very much for joining us today. You bet, James. It's been a real pleasure. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences. To read the article we talked about today and more, point your browser to bioscience.oxfordjournals.org. Thank you for listening and talk to you next time.